Nehemiah, and I tell you which chapter, we're going to be in all of the rest of them uh, today, kind of quickly as best we can, starting in Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9, and then also a little bit in chapter 12, a little later on. Um, but we've been on this series of the favor of God and uh, finding and having the favor of God. And we made this statement in the beginning, living without the favor of God is like taking a trip without a map or supplies. It's like taking a trip without map or supplies, without having God's favor, without having God's hand upon our lives, without having his blessing, without following his direction and his guidance, without doing that, it's like just blindly wandering, trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, but having no way of knowing, matter of fact, where you're going, nor how to get there. And worse, it's like taking off without a debit card or cash and trying to get gas is impossible and you're just no supplies, no food to eat. Uh, it's impossible to get to where you're headed. And that's what many of us live our lives like when we live our lives without the favor of God on it. And so we've been talking for the last four weeks and today's the fifth Sunday. It's the final Sunday of Nehemiah for us. Um, we only made it through chapter six as of last week. So we're going to do the last seven chapters really fast today, all right? Um, and so we're, we're talking today about from shame to celebration, from shame to celebration. And last week as we, we talked, we talked about what it means to see the goal line or the finish line, just to see it right up ahead, you, ahead of you and have all these distractions trying to keep you away from reaching your goal. And what do you do when all that is happening? And we talked about having no distractions. And Nehemiah said one of my favorite favorite verses. He said, I am, he says, I'm up on the wall, I'm doing a good work, and I can't come down. I love that verse. I'm busy teaching my children about the things of God. I ain't got time for these other distractions. I'm busy leading my wife in my marriage and healing our marriage and working on our marriage. By the way, do you guys know marriage is work? It's work. They don't tell you that when you're dating in prom and you're having all these dates and you're getting all excited. We just assume, mom and dad, it was just a piece of cake and it went easy for them, but it's work, right? Marriage is work. It's not bad work. It's good work, but it's work nonetheless. And so he's talking. He says, I'm up on the wall doing a good work and I can't come down. Maybe it's a work in your workplace. Maybe you're doing something good there. Maybe it's something in your neighborhood, maybe something at the church, whatever it is, I can't be distracted. The goal line's right there, and I'm going to get there, no distractions. Three things we said last week. We said when achieving your goal is in sight, the enemy continues to scheme against you to harm and distract you. The enemy continues to scheme against you to harm and distract you. For four chapters, Tobias, Sanballat, and then Geshem came along. And they are continually throwing threats at him, scaring him. He's got other people coming up and telling them. And they're doing everything they can to distract them, to harm them, to, to get them to be intimidated and to stop this building of the wall. Second thing we talked about, we said maintain your focus. Number two, I'm doing a good work and I can't come down. And number three, pray for strength that and don't let your hands get tired. Pray for strength and don't let your hands get tired. That was last week, no distractions. This week we're talking about going from shame 
to celebration. In chapter 1, it opens up and the story starts with Nehemiah. His brothers come to visit him. He's, he's the wine uh, taster or the cup bearer for the king. He's the food taster. He's the guy who dies if you poison the king, right? He eats it first. If he lives, the king eats it. If he dies, the king says, ooh, right? I missed that one. That was Nehemiah's job, right? It was a prestigious job because the king didn't want to die. So he trusted Nehemiah with his life, literally. And the story opens. His brothers come to see him from Jerusalem. He's he's with Artaxerxes and uh, so he's quite a ways away. And so he's with him, and they come to see him, and they say, he says, how are you guys doing? How is Jerusalem? And his brothers immediately break down. It's horrible. The walls are broken down. The temple's broken down. The homes are still broken down. The gates are missing. They burned them all down. It is a mess. Now, they were in captivity for 70-plus years, and Now it's been another 20 to 70 years, somewhere in there. So anywhere from 70 to 140 years, these walls have been broken down. The doors and gates have been burnt down. The city is a wreck. And as the kings are letting them go back to the city, they're going back to this broken home. I understand Jerusalem was where they worshiped the Lord. It's where the temple was. And so it was their Mecca. It was their worship place. It was where they met with God. And so it was, for them, it was losing everything. And they looked at Nehemiah, and Nehemiah's heart was broken. And guys, it doesn't get any worse than that for these people. There's no hope. There's shame. They tried rebuilding the walls, and it got shut down. And they're sitting there, and they're hoping, and they're praying every day, God, do something. And nothing happens. The the walls, when they're finished, are 13 feet wide. They're 26 feet, 8 feet wide, 26 feet high, a mile long, give or take on some of those dimensions. It's a huge wall. And it's torn down and they're just distraught. But one man, one man prayed. One man prayed dangerously. Nehemiah starts to pray in chapter 1, and for three months he mourns and fasts and cries out to God. At the end of Nehemiah chapter 1, they show his prayer, and he prays his prayer, and he says, God, my fathers, our, our forefathers have sinned against you. You are right to rip this home from us. You are right to take us into captivity. We sinned against you, and I have sinned against you. God, forgive me. And then he prays, God, do something special in my life. God, use me. And he prays that dangerous prayer that God would use him three months of fasting. But God was up to something. The people have been praying. They've been crying out. Have you ever cried out and prayed to God for something for so long that you just kind of gave up? You still prayed the prayer because you still believe that God could do it. But in your heart to heart, you just kind of gave up. You don't mean to be skeptic or pessimistic, but you just kind of said, ain't never happened. You know, you talk to that friend, and they've been trying to find the right guy, and they've been dating for years and never found the right guy, and they're just like, ain't going to happen. Right? You're talking to that guy, and he's been praying for the right girl, and he keeps dating the wrong ones, and he's just, 
ain't going to happen. Maybe it's the home or maybe it's the job or maybe it's the vehicle. Whatever it is, you've been praying and you've been asking. And it's just like it's falling on deaf ears. But God was stirring. God was doing something in their midst. And they're praying and they're asking. But nothing's happening. And then Nehemiah, his heart is broken. And I don't know if it's because Nehemiah was in a position of of power where he had the ear of the king. I don't know because Nehemiah had a special talent as the the taste tester to build walls. Seems kind of bizarre. But he he may have been a man man of many talents and maybe he had that ability. We're not told that. All we know is he prayed. And he prayed this dangerous prayer of, God, use me, and may I find favor in the sight of the king. One man prays, and God overcame permission issues, authority issues, resource issues, enemy attacks, tired and discouraged people, unfair economic practices, and the wall was completed. Last week we read these verses. It says, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 to 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu. In 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. All of the other nations took note. There is no way they could have done what they did in 52 days unless the hand of God was upon them. We threatened them. We, we tried to take away their resources. We did everything we could to discourage them, and they were never discouraged. We did everything we could to try and take it away from them, and they didn't allow it. God stepped up and did something amazing, and look what happened. It says that all the other nations saw it and were fearful. They were scared. Look at what God did. This could only happen by the hand of God. This week, Kayla gets a hold of me, and we've been praying for her, and she's been going through this situation, and, and uh, she's kind of discouraged and everything. And, and Tuesday, she gets this information, and she's just like, whoa, blown away by how God showed up and did this amazing thing. And when I got the text, I just started laughing hysterically because it's so funny. What she was so scared and so worried about, God come along and only by his hand. And I'm not saying what happened that he made it happen just for Kayla. It was going to happen regardless of whether Kayla was there or not. But what he did was he took care of Kayla in the midst of that mess. And I just sat there going, This is so cool. God is so good. It's just amazing. Guys, Nehemiah's in this spot. He's in this position. And they find themselves going from shame to now it's time for the party. It's time for the celebration. Their worst fears have been taken care of. What they thought could never happen has now happened. And now they're ready to rejoice. Now they're ready to celebrate. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verses 1 through 18. If you have your Bibles, look with me. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, 
All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. He faced a square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the teacher law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And behind him on his right stood, yeah, Matt. And beside Matt was Shema and Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, Masiah. And on his left was all these other guys. See, it's not fair because when I was studying, I just kept reading over their names because I was like, I can't pronounce them. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book, and all the people would see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it, and the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, <laughs> Hadiai, Masa, yeah, whatever, <laughs> Kalida. Why am I doing this? I can't read these. Anyway, instructed the people in the law, and while the people were standing there, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. So you, think I, you think I'm long-winded? <laughs> Can you imagine sitting there for three or six hours listening to them read the word of God? And Nehemiah verse 10 said, Go and, and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of the families, along with the priests and Levites gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go into the hill country and bring back branches from olives and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as is written. So the people went out, and they brought back branches and built themselves a temporary shelter on their own roofs and in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in a square by the water gate, and by the one by the gate of Ephraim. And the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was great. 
day after day, from the first day to the last, as are read from the book of the law of God. And they celebrated a festival for seven days. On the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. In order to maintain God's favor, we need to praise God, God's greatness with joy. We need to praise God's greatness with joy. It says that Ezra, as he was reading this, that he started out and he was praising God and, and he had all the people stand and they, were, they all shouted, amen, amen. And then all of a sudden they bowed down and just started worshiping God. It tells us around 42,000 people were there living in that city after the wall was rebuilt, plus all of the slaves that came, which is around 7,000, plus the priests, plus the musicians, plus the singers. The number was huge, and all these people are there gathering together, and they're hearing the word of the Lord. Now, you need to understand, they haven't had church anywhere from 70 to 140 years. <laughs> they haven't been to the temple that long. And now for the first time, they're having church. They may have had small meetings in homes. They may have, as family, gathered together and, and read the word of God. But as a group, they had not gathered together. And it's a celebration time. It's an exciting time. We need to praise God's greatness with joy. When God has helped you accomplish the impossible, when you built that wall in 52 days that had been knocked down for years and years, when God has repaired a relationship that you couldn't do anything about, when God has, has taken care of a financial situation that you couldn't see yourself through, when God shows up and takes care of something that no one else could do, we need to praise him, praise his greatness with joy. There should be an excitement seeing and knowing what God has done. How excited are we as a people for what God has done? Just a few hours, the Super Bowl is going to be on. Whether you like San Francisco or whether you like Kansas City, whether you don't like any of them, you're probably going to sit there and cheer a little bit, at least maybe eat some nachos, watch the game. How many watch it for the commercials? <laughs> some of the funniest commercials of the year are in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, we're going to be sitting there watching, and if you're a Kansas City fan, you're going to be screaming because they haven't been there since, what, the 50s? 60s. Hank Stram, how old is Hank Stram? Anybody know? Wayback Machine. In the 60s was the last time they were at something of that event. Andy Reid has never won the big one. He's been, there, he's been there one other time, but getting almost there, he's, he's been to the final four, like, I don't know how many times, like 14, 15, it's crazy how many times he's been there. On the other side is San Francisco. They've won several over the years. Whether you're a fan of Kansas City or a fan of San Francisco, if you're, you're going to be cheering and yelling, and, and you're going to be excited. And guys, what they accomplish is amazing. Those are two fun teams to watch. I'm going to be enjoying it. But i got to tell you, it's nothing compared to my God. Do you understand that? What God does is so much greater than anything that we ever accomplish. I bench first 500 pounds. That's awesome. 
My, my God holds the world in his hands. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what, you, what your resume says, who you are and what you can accomplish. My God is greater than that. And we should worship him with praise of God's greatness. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, if you would just turn over there, next page. It says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. So they've come in, a, in an attitude of mourning. Sackcloth is, is worn to show that they're sorrowful, that they're sorry, that they're upset about what has happened. And so they're putting ashes on their head. They're wearing sackcloth to show their humility. Verse 2, and those of the Israelites' descent had separated themselves from the foreigners, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So for three hours they read the Bible, the law of Moses. And for three more hours they stood there confessing their sins and their father's sins, and their grandparents' sins, and their great-grandparents' sins, up to the seventh generation, right? And standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shabani, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Canani. And they cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Banny and all the rest of the gang said, Golly. You know what's funny? Those people meant something to them when they wrote this, right? They're like, oh, Banny was there? How cool. Yeah, and we're like, who's Banny? All right, anyway. <laughs> and he said, stand up and praise the Lord your God, whom is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host. And the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything. And to the multitudes of heaven, worship you. Second thing I see is in order to maintain God's favor in your life, we need to confess and repent of our sins and our father's sins. We need to confess and repent of our sins and our father's sins. We need to praise him for what he's done, and we need to repent and confess our sins. Repentance simply means if you're headed down this path away from God, that you turn 180 degrees and go back and follow God. Repentance, biblical repentance, simply means turn around. Turn away from what you're doing and start following after him. And in chapter 9, we see an entire, I mean, you're talking 40,000 people who start sharing for three hours their sins. Anybody uncomfortable with that idea? <laughs> Scares me to death that you would know my deepest, darkest secrets. Yet Jesus says they're going to be spoken from the rooftops. It scares us to death to talk about those things. And here, these guys, as the word of God is shared, they start to share and confess their sins to one another. 
as a nation, the healing that's taking place at this moment is incredible. At this moment, it's, a, it's about as emotional as you can get. And they're confessing their sins and the sins of their fathers. God, we haven't been able to worship you as a group. Some of those people may have not prayed their entire life. They may be here as what we would call unchurched for the first time in the presence of God, and they're just feeling his presence and his power, his Holy Spirit, as we would say, is upon them. And they're, they're sensing that, and they're here as they're hearing the word of God, and they're like, God, no wonder we went into captivity. No wonder you did what you did. How could we ignore a God who loves us so much? How could we do these horrible things that we have done? And they're confessing their sins. If you're 16 years old today and you're here, think about this. You would be there confessing your sins and your parents' sins from the 2000s, maybe late 90s. And your grandparents' sins from the 80s to the 70s. And your great-grandparents' sins from the 60s and the 50s. And your great-great-great-grandparents' sins from the 40s and the 30s. And then in the 20s, right? You're confessing the sins of your forefathers, how they turned away and, and refused to follow God. Probably some of the books of the Bible that I, I dislike reading the most is, is First and Second Kings. Because it'll talk about a king and it'll say, he reigned for 40 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you'll read the next paragraph, and this king, it says, he reigned for 40 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you read the next king, and he reigned for 40 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And all of a sudden, somewhere, a grandchild rises up. And this king reigned for 40 years, and he loved and respected the Lord. Like, oh, I got one. And you read the next king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the condition of the heart of the children of Israel on this day. As they think about their forefathers, they think about themselves far from a loving God who, no matter how high the wall, as we sang in that song, Reckless Love, that he'll tear it down. No matter how bad the situation, he'll come in. No matter how much you're afraid or fear, he's there for you. This God of reckless love that loves you so much. And 2,500 years later, we sit here today worshiping the same God who loves us so much that he gave his only son so that we may have life everlasting. And in a few moments, we'll celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We'll celebrate his broken body and his shed blood for the remission of our sins. Man, can you imagine the environment? What would happen if all of God's people started to act like Nehemiah and started to act like the children of Israel at this time? Where we started to love to hear the word of God. You said, Pastor Jim, I love to hear. Awesome. Awesome. 
I will tell you, we live in a world that's not necessarily so word friendly. We live in a world that doesn't necessarily enjoy hearing the things of God. And these guys are in that environment and they're blown away. And the heart is broken. And the broken heart and the humble spirit that we saw in Nehemiah in the beginning is now what's taking place in the hearts and the lives of everyone as they start to repent and confess their sins. Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 to 43, probably has some more words that I can't pronounce. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 to 43, says this, that the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem so they, they've had these, these meetings. It's been a month now of, of getting together and worshiping God and, and getting closer to God. And so now they've set a date and they're going to celebrate the rebuilding of the wall. This is at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. The Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. The dedication was songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nephthites, from Beth, Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also signed two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on the top of the wall to the right, toward the dung gate. Hoshashiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshalim, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and as well as some other priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mananiah, the son of Micaiah the son of Zechariah, the son of Asaph, and his associates. And with the musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God, Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. And at the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall, and they passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. And the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. One went north, one went south. Second choir, I followed them on top of the wall together with the other half of the people, past the tower of the ovens of the broad wall and over the gate of Ephraim, the Jessanan gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, and as far as the sheep gate. And at the gate of the guard they stopped. And the two choirs they gave thanks, then they took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests listed there. Down to verse 43, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy, and the women and the children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Jump down to verse 46, and for long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors of the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel, And of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside portions for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside portions for the descendants of Aaron. 
Third and final thing I see is in order to maintain God's favor, we need to obey continually. We need to obey continually. So number one, we need to praise him. Number two, we need to repent and confess our sins. And number three, we need to obey continually. If we want to maintain God's favor in our life, we need to obey him continually. In chapters 10 through 12 that we didn't read, what took place is as they started to read the word of God and they started to realize we have broken all of these laws, God got a hold of the heart and they started to say, you know what, we can't live this way any longer. We can't act this way any longer. And so they started making a promise to God and to each other that they would stop marrying wives and husbands from other countries or other religions, that they would stop working or buying on the Sabbath, that they would pay temple tax and that they would tithe one-tenth of their first fruits, that they would give their firstborn son to service until he got older, they would give their firstborn of their cattle and the firstborn of their sheep. And in verse 39 it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. They had a mindset that said, you know what? We have not worshipped him for years. This temple's been shut down, it's been broken down, and now we have the opportunity to do this together, and we're not going to neglect the assembling of ourselves together, we're not going to neglect the priests, we're not going to neglect the musicians, we're not going to neglect the Levites, we're going to make sure they're fed, we're going to make sure they're taken care of, we're going to do what God has commanded us to do. And then Nehemiah goes away for a few months, comes back, and guess what happened? They'd stop doing what they promised they would do. And Nehemiah gets them all by the ears, and he twists their ear really hard. He says, guys, what are you doing? You committed. You promised. And once again, they started to, to do these things because they did not want to neglect the assembling of themselves together. They did not want to neglect the reading of God's word. They did not want to neglect obeying and following God. It's an incredible story, the book of Nehemiah, as it talks about where they were broken and far from God and God's loving arms just bringing them together, overcoming all the odds that no one thought they could overcome to bring them to a place of love, of companionship, of relationship. In order to maintain God's favor, we must praise him, we must repent of our sins, we must obey his word. So we get ready to take communion together. I'm going to ask our deacons to come. And while they're getting ready and coming forward, as we look at the book of Nehemiah and we see all that God did and was doing, it reminds us of today where we live in a, in a nation, in a country, in, in a society where people are far from God, and yet God is drawing them back to himself. You guys come on up. We'll let you stand up in front of everybody while I close. It's in this position where we live in a time where that's what's going on in our hearts and lives. And yet no matter what is, is happening, God is taking care of that. God is working through that. As we come to the end of this book, we need to be a church that praises him continually for all that he's done with a joyful heart. We need to be a body of believers that's confessing our sins and 
James says, confess your sins one to another. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. We need to be real is what he's saying. We need to be real about our lives. You know, Pastor Jim, I struggle in this area. Don't have to tell me exactly what it is. I just struggle in this area. You know, Pastor Jim, I, I, I've stumbled in this area. But God has brought me up and he's doing amazing things. We need to be doing that as a body of believers. And then lastly, we just need to be obeying his word as we walk in faith. Jesus, on the last day of his life, was eating the Passover supper with his disciples. And as he was explaining to them that in a a few hours, I'm going to die. And he's been giving them hints all along that he was going to die. And they saw him as the Messiah. They saw him as the king who was going to destroy the Romans. Even though they came back and, and set up Jerusalem, they still did not have the freedom and, and the prestige and, and the, the freedom to worship God the way they wanted to. And so they thought Jesus was going to do that. And he told them that he was, but he was going to do it different than what they thought. And as he took the bread and the Passover bread, he broke it and he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And guys, as often as you gather together to eat of this Passover meal, to eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Today as we gather, let's pray for the bread we're about to partake. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for the nation of, of Israel and Father for us as the Gentiles. That Father, you loved us so much you sent Jesus in the world to bridge that gap, that broken relationship that, between man and God. And Father, as Jesus was crucified on the cross, his body was broken. He was beaten over and over, Father. And yet he committed no sin. And Father, the sins that he was beaten for were our sins. So Father, as we partake of this bread, we thank you for what Jesus did. And we ask for you to forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here at First Baptist Church, we, are a, we have open communion. You do not have to be a member in order to partake of communion. You just need to be a believer in Christ, and you can partake with us as brother and sister in Christ. All we ask is that you hold the bread until everyone's been served. Also, we have gluten-free bread that's in little packets. If you are not gluten-free, please leave that for those that are and allow them to have those. Go ahead and serve. My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up, highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
to grow up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had so he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and our bore suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crucified, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Just as his disciples ate with him the bread, may we eat together. <clears throat> 